that it's evolution. Well, you know. Welcome to Food Freedom Radio. I'm Laura Hedlund, and today we're talking about milkweed economics. I love this phrase, milkweed economics, because it points to economic thinking and ways of being which can respond, which can respond to the living world, respond to feedback from the earth. The way humans are feeding and clothing ourselves is not sustainable. A milkweed economy is not only sustainable, but there's a rich potential to thrive, to enhance abundance for humans and butterflies. What's good for butterflies is good for the earth, and what's good for the earth is good for humans. Milkweed economics can also be about an economics of belonging. And very pleased to be joined by uh, two people working on spreading milkweed economics, Dr. Wajin Zhang with the University of Duluth. He's a business professor. And uh, Debbie... Uh, Deglafa, she's an entrepreneur with Maranac Flyways. So let's first start by just sharing a little bit about, about your background. Uh, Debbie, tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. So I am second generation milkweed entrepreneur. Ooh, my second generation. Father, right? <laughs> yeah. So my father was a um, patent attorney and he worked for Standard Oil of Ohio and they were trying to make a biofuel out of milkweed. And so they found that it wasn't very economical. It was very possible, but not economical in the early 80s. And so they decided to evaluate, like, what else could happen? What, what else could you do with milkweed? And so they explored a lot of potential, and the plant is just budding with potential everywhere. And, you know, whether it's food or medicine or textiles, uh, it's just got so many different applications. And so British Petroleum took over and um, eliminated anything at Ohio that didn't have to do with petroleum. And so my father kind of got bitten by the milkweed bug and purchased the milkweed project from Standard Oil. And so I, that was when I was in high school and I became the first employee (laughs) and then um, just really enjoyed like seeing all the different things that could happen. Then we focused in really on um, becoming bedding specialists because we needed high value, low volume products. And so started Ogallala Comfort and it's a down comforter and pillow business that has been keeping us in business for 36 years. (laughs) So right now you're sending selling very high-end products uh, like yacht bedding because that's where you can make some money to um, to transition. But there's a whole range of products, products that you're selling right now. Right. Yes. Yeah. So we also learned that the oil from the plant is a, is a pain reliever and is really great for your skin. So there's just – whether it's a cosmetic use or – medical use. There are just so many different avenues that it can go. And interestingly, um, the biomass, because it was able to be put into a biofuel, can also be put into like a bio-based binder, plastic that uh, hasn't really been looked at so far, but we're hoping to move that forward and, you know, see what other uh, discoveries we can make with milkweed and and how it can actually support those monarch butterflies and the people in the communities that 
we source milkweed from. So, uh, yeah, and that's the fun thing about this topic is that the more that you harvest milkweed, the more milkweed that exists, right? So it's really, it's, it's, it's truly abundant, correct? Right, yeah. So it's, you know, one of the big issues that monarch habitat and milkweed have is that milkweed is not valuable. And so people go out and kill it. But when you go out and use it, it will actually expand. So it um, regenerates on itself and it helps filter water and um, increases soil health. And it likes to grow within biodiverse plant communities. So it also encourages biodiversity. So there's so many um, environmental bonuses to this plant and the, the milkweed economy. The milkweed. Okay, so uh, Dr. Wajin Zhang, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and your involvement in this. Absolutely. Um, hi, uh, my name is Wenxin Zhang. Um, I'm an associate professor of uh, operations and supply chain management at the uh, UMD. Um, my research is centered around the critical uh, topics in operations and supply chain management. And uh, in recent years, I expanded my focus to uh, champion equitable development for uh, indigenous communities um, through um, um, innovative operations and supply chain initiatives. So um, it's, a, it's a very interesting story. Um, um, how I got involved in um, this project and uh, how we collaborated um, with uh, Angie, Debbie, um, and a few other people as well. So um, I, my, my basic research interests um, expand to um, sustainability and also how we can uh, promote like uh, equitable and sustainable uh, economics um, in those indigenous communities and uh, rural areas. And then uh, in one uh, meeting, um, I met one of our common friends, um, and then she introduced um, uh, Angie and Debbie to me, and then that's how we started uh, working on this project together. And I should let uh, Angie uh, will join us later in the program, and she was also what uh, she suggested this topic to me. So, uh, so you're a, a business professor with supply chains. Um, you know, when I think of that word supply chains, I think of these big boats going across the global world. But is there so? Uh, but but are you looking at and, and then your expertise is in indigenous communities. Um, can supply change, can we change those? So what is the current meaning of the word supply chain and what is the vision that we should be moving or we can be moving towards? Absolutely. Um, supply chain is everywhere. So, for example, if we want something, right? So, and then um, definitely there is a supply chain there to provide the uh, food, uh, provide other items to you. Uh, so in the supply chain, we basically look at how um, all different parties can work together uh, to match the um, match the uh, the uh, um, demand uh, with the right supply. So, um, in this context, uh, for example, we if we look at the indigenous communities, um, they have um, a demand for many things for food, for other items, but uh, 
um, the supply, the current supply chain uh, may not work very well. So in this case, uh, we need to uh, look closely, uh, look closely to into um, different parties' roles, and then um, hopefully we can um, design a better or a more robust supply chain uh, for for these communities. And you've also done some work on indigenous food supplies. So you want to talk about that a little bit? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so the food insecurity um, is a big issue for indigenous communities now. Um, for example, uh, according to some studies, uh, one in four American Indians uh, face food insecurity. That actually doubled the rate of uh, white Americans. So the, in, in Minnesota, this um, is likely uh, worse um, due to the, the adverse uh, weather conditions. And also, uh, this is a common issue. And then um, my um, intention is to look into the supply chain structures, supply chain uh, coordinated coordination uh, and and uh, um, other parts in the supply chain uh, to see if we can find a better way uh, to provide the foods into the the communities. Uh, but also, um, it's not purely about the supply or supply chain. Uh, it also um, is centered uh, in this problem actually. Um, it's the indigenous communities' uh, real uh, needs or real demand. For example, uh, they have very uh, specific um, um, demand for uh, for specific food. For example, traditional food uh, for the community. So that's why, um, in this whole context, um, indigenous communities must be um, must be in the center and then they have to um, uh, take the leading role um, to build up a robust supply chain, uh, especially food supply chain for them. And there is um, a growing evidence that um, indigenous uh, traditional food cultures, which did not rely on sugar, salt, and fat, which did not rely on uh, factory farming uh, beef, which did not rely on uh, uh, artificial fertilizers and chemicals, uh, but were uh, working with nature uh, to produce healthy, abundant food from healthy soil, which was regenerative. So it also was a process of um, building up the soil, that that type of food system is far more in and healthy for us. Um, but our history has been one in the last couple decades. Some people want to call it traditional farming or conventional farming. I think that it's not traditional. It's not conventional. But this industrial approach to food systems has had lots of consequences. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. Um, yeah, I think that's, uh, that's one of the reasons uh, that these communities uh, wanted to uh, promote their food uh, sovereignty um, in terms of the uh, the category of the food they, they really want, and also in terms of the way ways of um, uh, cultivating or pre- uh, preparing the food for these communities.
Yeah, absolutely. So we're going to take a break. And, of course, the other victims of, of the, uh, the the approach is the butterflies, the monarchs, and what has happened to milkweed. And if we do well for monarchs, if we do well for um, um, milkweed, uh, can we change the economic structures? So we're talking about milkweed economics here on Food Freedom Radio. I'm Laura Headland. We'll take a break, and we'll be right back. Welcome back to Food Freedom Radio. I'm Laura Hedlund, and we're talking about milkweed economics. And with us is a business professor from the University of Minnesota Duluth, Dr. Weijin Zhang, and also um, an entrepreneur and um, uh, with Marnock Flyway, uh, Debbie Deklavka. And um, Debbie, um, on your LinkedIn, you say uh, you're about untamed egg. What do you mean by that? Yeah, so untamed egg is really working with the ecosystem to provide for communities, whether that's food or fiber, um, medicine, all those different things. So, so many of our medicines come from plants and there's so much abundance that we have lost sight of in recent history where uh, we have used plants for food and medicine for millennia. And uh, it's just something that has been really um, now a lot of children can't even identify plants. And so one of the things that we love is getting these communities out into nature, especially the younger children, where they can go and see what plants are in their communities naturally and see how they can actually be useful for them in their everyday lives. So that is the untamed ag part is we're not purposely going out and planting milkweed. We do passive propagation because um, the pods will open and then the seeds will fly everywhere and people go out and they collect milkweed pods for us. But while they're doing that too, they're in these mesh bags. And so seeds are constantly falling out of these pod bags. And so you know, pretty much it's reseeding the areas that are um, in the in the community. But the other thing, which is one reason milkweed sp- spreads, but the other way milkweed spreads is through rhizomes. So it's like underground roots. So when you have a solitary plant, um, over the years, it will start shooting out roots to the side and then put up what they call clones. And so it's the same plant. Even though it can look like, you know, a hundred stems in an area, it could actually come from one plant. So uh, those are, you know, when you're talking untamed egg, like really it's finding the resources in your area that can be valuable. And people could do the same thing with wild blueberries or raspberries or, you know, strawberries. There's so many plants that... Um, now we're we're more of an inside culture where before we were an outside culture. And so we're trying to flip that so that people are back outside interacting with nature. And once you have this intimate connection with nature, um, you're more apt to protect what's out there. 
So let's talk a little bit about the history of milkweed um, and the benefits. But the history, I mean, it was seen by Big Egg as a real problem. I, I don't know which of you want to talk about how the chemicals were used and what, what happened. What was milkweed like um, 100 years ago and, and what's happened to it? Is that a question for you, doctors? Sure. Go for it, Debbie. That actually in World War II, which not quite a hundred years ago, but um, they went out and collected milkweed because the fiber is um, hydrophobic and it is hollow. So they went out. Um, all the people collected milkweed, and we actually do our untamed ag programs um, so that they are based off of what they did in World War II where people collected milkweed and they were able to collect 12 million pounds a year of milkweed pods. And so if you can imagine, like right now in Minnesota, if we get 100,000 pounds, um, it's a really big year. So if you think about how much abundance of milkweed there was compared to what there is now and the other uh Thing that you can really look at is land use. So our natural prairies, um, thankfully, Minnesota is a lot better at uh, protecting their natural prairies than states like Illinois, which has lost over 99% of their prairie. Um, and same with Iowa. <coughs> but Minnesota, um, you know, there's a lot of areas where uh, people have protected those natural lands a lot more aggressively than uh, other states. Um, so, Dr. Wenjin Cheng, um, so the, the industrial agriculture threw a lot of chemicals on milkweed, right? That was part of the ethos and part of the economic structures. What were some of the consequences of that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the environment or the, even the society um, bears the consequences of using a lot of um, chemical products or um, or items, so uh, this is actually why uh, we have the passion to to study the uh, more environmentally friendly or uh, sustainable materials. Um, the milkweed is actually a perfect uh, replacement for those um, chemicals uh, materials. So, for example, it's a uh, um, it, it, it's a very sustainable resource. Um, and, and then earlier you mentioned that um, uh, even uh, after people um, harvest the, the pods um, or other items from their uh, wheel, um, milkweed um, uh, plants, and it, it's still, it, it, it's, a, it's growing still very good. So it's really um, environmental and sustainable. Um, and also... Uh, milkweed carries a lot of uh, cultural and uh, spiritual meanings for uh, certain communities. For example, um, our indigenous communities, and then they uh, they think the um, milkweed products um, can, like for example, uh, represent their their history, represent their dietary choices, um, and so on and so forth. So. I really think this is a right way to go um, to to find the replacement for um, those uh, chemical um, items, chemical materials. Um, yeah. So yeah, this is good for the planet as well. 
So milkweed is also edible. Um, some people refer to it as a wild okra, but it also has to be done with caution. It has to be cooked in certain ways. Do either of you know about that? The edibility of milkweed and how you eat it? Yeah. So we actually um, have, you. all you have to do is boil the milkweed pods, but every part of the plant can actually, in, in the spring, they'll pick... Um, the shoots that are coming up and it's like asparagus and then uh, the flowers can be used in um, different preparations as well. They're sweet. Uh, They can be turned into syrup. In Canada, you can actually purchase uh, pickled milkweed pods and milkweed syrup, but it's not um, something that's approved by the FDA here. And so it's not a, a market that we've been able to explore. Thankfully, with the indigenous knowledge that is coming back up into people's awareness, hopefully um, it will have fewer issues getting into um, our food supply again. So one thing that I did want to just mention about the chemicals and the um, ways that we're treating our land right now is we actually moved our company from uh, Ohio to Nebraska because there was so much milkweed in Nebraska. And now because so much of the prairies um, and the ways that uh we currently farm um, conventionally is we now get our milkweed from Minnesota and Michigan and we have to ship it to Nebraska because we've killed so much milkweed. So unless it's ranching lands, um, thankfully ranchers are really great stewards of the land and are, um, you know, they don't apply chemicals and, and different things like that. And so, in Nebraska, the biggest abundance of milkweed is on ranch lands, range lands that's being grazed. Well, and that's why it's starting some markets for this. And someone had said, just go on Esky and, and, and put Esky, I'm sorry. <laughs> but if you're looking for milk pods, those are popular for craft items right now too, right? And that can all be – so we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk more about the natural properties of milkweed and how we create this milkweed eco- economy and, and the potential of it. So you're listening to Food for Freedom Radio. I'm Laura Headland. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Food Freedom Radio. I'm Laura Headland, and we're talking about milkweed economics. And uh, joining me right now is Angie Moen. Uh, she um, uh, she's from Isle, Minnesota. Welcome to Food Freedom Radio. Hi, hi, and thanks, Angie. This was your idea to do the show, so thanks for reaching out to me. So, tell me a little bit about your involvement in uh, in milkweed economics. About nine years ago, I was drawn to uh, pay attention to some milkweed. And we, in the, in the business, we're on Main Street in Iowa, and we have like a craft and studio space, so we're always doing things in the building, so we were playing with this milkweed. And we were picking out the fluff and the seeds and seeing how robust the plant was and collecting it and cleaning it and decided to find out what it was good for, and that's when one of the people 
went online like you did and saw all these little, you know, people selling pods and fluff and different things. And one of the women in our building contact was looking to see where we could sell it because there's so much seed. It accumulates so rapidly. We thought, this is interesting. So she found a connection, direct connection to Debbie DeClava. That was our first reaching out, and we reached out and ran into Debbie DeClava, who her company for the last over nine years, we've actually done collections here in Iowa, Minnesota, and sold them to her company at least six of those years. And in our community, our organization is actually a nonprofit, and our mission is to help people create income. So we were interested in the economic value of this collection. In the last year that we picked pods for Debbie's company, we put $18,000 into the hands of local people by simply buying the pods that they collected. And it happens in a very brief window, mid-September to mid-August, mid-October, excuse me, and it fits so perfectly into seasonal work because the people, several of the people who have picked um, in our locality for Debbie's company, actually they do wild ricing. And when the wild ricing season starts to diminish is about the time the pods start to pick up. And then when they're done, the pod picking process lasts until frost. So it's a late summer endeavor, and it lasts right up until the first hard frost. So it, and it's a real boon to people. I mean, they can, they can um, earn money in a, in a short period at a good rate. And most of the, pe- the people who have picked in our region are typically underemployed young adults, and I'll say this, women over 50 <laughs> who are looking for additional income. And well, and I know in our in our rural areas, there's so much stress, and one of the big stressors is that young people don't have jobs, and they have to leave, and they have to, and so there's so much of that angst. So, but at this idea of the supply chain, I love this story. And so, um, uh, Doctor Winjing Jang, you want to talk about this type of supply chain? Absolutely. Um, so, when we are looking at the supply chain, um, the, first of all, we need to make sure there is a demand for the. Uh, for the milkweed products, right? And then, um, and the uh, Debbie um, and Angie also mentioned um, some of the very good uh, properties from the milkweed. Um, and then also, um, one of the reason um, this is not uh, widespread um, adopted um, is because of the the awareness, because of the uncertainty. Uh, about the milkweed pods, so so I would say uh, in this supply chain, um, I think we we still need um, there there um, there's some work that need to be done uh, in terms of the the uh, promotion of the milk uh, milkweed fibers or other other items, um, and also currently the supply chain of the milkweed products. Um, or particularly uh, the fibers uh, really require uh, further development to compete with the uh, established materials. 
So yeah, so that's something that I think we should look into as well. Um, but in um, in general, um, I re I'm really optimistic uh, about the the adoption of the uh, milkweed products, uh, fibers, and so on and so forth. So Debbie, refer to how, how helpful is Angie's and Angie's groups in giving you a milkweed product? So you talked about this earlier because it's because farmers have been poisoning their fields and killing all their milkweeds because they see it as a weed, milkweed. Um, there's very little supply. So talk about the importance of groups like Angie's in collecting this milkweed. Well, what we love about working with Angie is we know that they're out there collecting sustainably doing things the right way and uh, picking those pods so that we can, one, we're one of the biggest um, milkweed yeah. seed suppliers that, that a lot of that seed goes back into the ground to plant for monarch habitat. And one of the reasons that uh, the monarch population has declined so badly is because you know, the milkweed is no longer as plentiful as it was. So that is one of the things, um, you know, having, and so then her area will actually end up being more and more milkweed over time. And so then it also becomes a better supply area, right? So it like, it all just kind of snowballs together. And one of the biggest challenges that we have, like, uh, Dr. Zhang was saying is the um, the adoption of it into commerce has been very slow, and so being able to get people to know about it. So thank you, Laura, for having us on the show because you know the more people who know about it, the more you know they will start looking for milkweed products or thinking about themselves, like, what can I do with it? So we're a very small company. We've been working on this for 36 years. And, you know, we're hoping that you know, we can bring more people in. And that's one thing that we love about Angie's group, too, is they're not only um, picking milkweed, but they're also making really interesting products with it, too. So it's not, it's been feeling like we're out there working all alone. Right. And with Angie's group where they're like, oh, we could do this. We could do this. We could do this. And bringing in the different things that they can bring to the table um, is just equally important or even more important than uh, than being able to save the milkweed and continue the, the supply chain. So because it, those uses are critical. So Angie, milkweed is a slow growing, so it takes time. It's slow growing perennial, so uh, it's been tough for um, traditional supply chains to make money and make it profitable. Um, but when you're hand picking it, um, it how has the milkweed responded in in the area? Now that you guys have hand picked it and kind of created this um, a gig, well, <clears throat> are you the first thing I think we have to keep in mind and retain is the fact that it's a relationship process. The people who, like I said, our experience is nine years long now, and I have people who started in the beginning who are still picking and so forth. And as people are aware of this, they start paying attention to where the milkweed is growing. They start establishing relationships with the, the owners of the property who have this land. Now we actually have a couple of different landowners here in Minnesota who are um, planning their hay harvesting and that, 
so that the local pickers have access to the pods before the, the field is cut. There's, so the individuals who are actually working out there picking pods are creating relationships in the community. They're seeing the places that are going to be, have enough productivity for them to put time there, and their, their interest has created uh, more interest in the community in milkweed, and people are allowing more of it to grow. It's a fascinating idea because sustainability really does imply relationships in a lot of places that just don't turn into dollar bills. Right, and and the- piece of that that I think is important, too, is that as these people are picking, they're paying attention to the conditions in the... It's just it's economic interest to them. It's valuable to them to have robust stands of milkweed to go to, and so they're paying attention. They're bringing back information. For example, there are certain insects that impact milkweed. People bring back information about conditions out there, the weather conditions, how things are doing. It, we actually, as we were developing this idea with Dr. Zhang, we're looking also at the concept of citizen science, that the people harvesting are able to contribute information into understanding. That's beautiful. And so the best milkweed stands are those that are decades old. So the more that you're out there and the more that you're building that relationship with milkweed, the more milkweed there is, and it, it can help transition a larger right. economic system. Right, and just a few examples. There's nothing like a good open junkyard. <laughs> There's a lot of milkweed there. We have uh, places here. We're in rural Minnesota. There are gravel pits and the hills and valleys around those gravel pits. So many of the areas that are considered waste to other people are the perfect place for milkweed to establish. And some of the interest, uh, Debbie knows a lot about this, and I'm going to say this, there is so much study that has been done of the milkweed, it's phenomenal. I can't imagine why we haven't really brought this to the front sooner because milkweed has been studied by every Midwestern and Canadian institution since the 40s when it appeared as a significant player in the Second World War, you know, for use in, uh, in, uh, air flo- in flotation garments. I mean, if you, do the, if you read the literature on that, um, the milkweed is attributed for saving pilots who went down in the ocean and didn't drown, etc. Anyway, the thing is that the science has been done and the plant is so robust, it comes back even after it's been denied access for a long time. And I get too excited about this. <laughs> uh, that's good. It's a good thing to get excited about. And I know, um, and, and I, one thing that when you reach out to me that I just loved hearing, Angie, is, is that you are optimistic about the future right now. And I think we so, I, it's almost like at the time that you told me that, I was like, and I was like, oh, yeah, maybe, you know, maybe maybe we can really have, uh, maybe the whole world can um, embrace a sort of milkweed economics. And this is one of the reasons it's so important that Dr. Zhang is working with us, because he is specifically interested in supply chain, and there are so many parts to that that just aren't interesting to people to hear about. However, they're critical. And one of the aspects is that 
for the we sent 18,000 pounds of milkweed to Ogallala, Nebraska, and only about 20% of that weight ter- goes into their product. The rest of it becomes something that has to be managed. And if we process that in our community and just send her the part she wants, the fluff and the seeds, we have about 80% of that is biomass that stays here. And we have started doing things with that. So we're doing value added in our community so that, yes, the pod picking season is two months in the autumn. But we have taken that leftover material that's here and we've turned it into paper. We make paper. We have a Holland beater and make paper, which can be art paper. We sell for $3 a sheet or whatever. We've learned some things about the milkweed that makes it, it looks very interesting in terms of controlling buckthorn, which is a significant problem in Minnesota. So our perspective and our site in Isle is on the value-added part so that, yes, the collection puts cash in people's hands, and that's very attractive. But the rest of the year, we are creating additional value-added products that we can sell out of our A, a local economy. What's good for butterflies is good for humans. It's good for the environment. Let's, let's cycle up. So uh, we're going to take a break, and we'll be right back. We're talking about um, milkweed economics. Uh, and with us is Dr. Wenjing Zhang from the University of uh, Duluth and Debbie um, DeClava uh, from MarnockFlyway.com. So you can go on our website and buy some um, milkweed balm or um, some fancy uh, pillows and uh, uh, yacht bedding. <laughs> So uh, you're listening to Food Freedom Radio. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Food Freedom Radio. I'm Laura Hedlund. We're talking about milkweed economics, and uh, joining us is Dr. Wenjing Cheng. Uh, he's with the uh, he's a business professor from the University of Duluth. Angie Moy, uh, Moen uh, from Isle, Minnesota, also with Depot Studios, and um, Debbie DeClafa from uh, MarnockFlyway.com. And I, I've absolutely adored this conversation, but I feel like we really have to men- mention all the benefits of milkweed. I mean, I know I've heard about the benefits of hemp, but milkweed. It has tremendous natural properties. Um, it can reduce PFAS and environmental pollution. It saves Marnock habitat. It can empower local communities, um, enhance biodiversity. Um, and so talk a little bit, Debbie, about um, your work with uh, min- Minsolite. It's also a very good insulation material. Minsolite, yes. So we um, actually took some research that was done at Standard Oil of Ohio where they had put together a milkweed insulation and um, in the 80s, no outerwear companies were interested. Like, they didn't care that you could replace synthetic waste because they didn't know what a problem it was. And so now where people are looking for solutions, so like waterproofing is done with PFAS, um, the insulation is mostly synthetic. And so the Mincelite product that we have developed is something that can... Uh, reduce synthetic waste by 88 to 94%, depending on which uh, synthetic insulation you would be replacing. So, you know, when you look at people who love the outdoors, which I know tons of Minnesotans love the outdoors, 
that when you think of your products can actually be helping butterflies, helping you stay warmer without the environmental um, degradation of synthetic usage and PFA usage. It's just, you like, when you can be supporting all these communities and the different benefits that are with that, it seems like a no brainer for us, you know? So that is um, something that we're working toward. It was actually introduced January of 2023. And um, our memory just came up that uh, Gear Junkie gave us best in show at Outdoor Retailer. And so they're a group in Minnesota as well. So we have all these Minnesota connections that, you know, we're hopeful that, you know, at some point you're going to be having um, just Minnesota communities being the leader of new breakthrough technology for um, outerwear, you know, so that what you're wearing can actually benefit the environment instead of hurt it. Have clothes that benefit the environment, have food that benefits the environment. Um, does that Talk to us about supply chain and how to create that supply chain, Dr. Winjing Jing. Absolutely. Um, I, I think uh, both um, Deb and, and Angie mentioned a lot of good features of the milkweed products, um, especially for the insulation, right? So new new type of insulation. Um, and obviously, um, a lot of good relationships um, have been established, but the um, um, in order to kind of scale up uh, this whole industry, uh, we need to make sure the demand um, continuously grow so that we will have um, more um, people get into this industry and then that will benefit the local e- economy as well. Um, so currently this uh, supply chain, uh, it seems like they are, there are some some demand issue, and then and then there are some uh, coordination or collaboration problems as well. So that's why um, the supply chain, in order to make sure this um, uh, milkweed milkweed supply chain um, um, work healthily and or um, um, like in in a good way, then we really need to to make sure all the members or all the parties in the supply chain uh, can uh, contribute um, to, uh, to the growth of the supply chain. So, so, and also in terms of the supply chain, um, we, earlier we mentioned that the, this is really a sustainable um, product or sustainable uh, plant. It's good for uh, monarch butterflies. It's good for the community. Um, the, but the, a good, um, supply chain, uh, must be like environmentally sustainable and also it should be the financially sustainable so that all the parties can, um, can, um, can benefit from it financially. And, and that's, so. that's what I really love about milkweed economics because we sometimes we think of sustainability over here, economics over here, but we need sustainable economics. So this idea exactly. of creating the milkweed economy is a beautiful way because it's also an economy of belonging and belonging to the earth and, and also getting our needs met. So unfortunately, we're down to our very last minute. I want to get Angie just kind of quick go around and anything you want to shout out or say here in our last minute. Angie, we appreciate you uh, tuning us into this topic. Well, I'm excited about 
everybody coming together, and that is the deal. We all work together. We spin this in our own community, and we spin it out till we connect with other communities. And people can visit your storefront in Isle, Minnesota. So give us your website. Well, we're on Facebook at Someday Isle, S-O-M-E-D-A-Y-I-S-L-E, and you should get here. There's only a couple of some. The, it come, the name comes from a poem that says, get off of Someday Isle and do whatever it is you want to do. So <laughs> Beautiful. Uh, Debbie, your website? Yes, so that is monarchflyway.com. And we are, we actually have a, our bedding company is a separate website, which is ogalalacomfort.com that has the high end luxury bedding. And then the body care is milkweedbone.com. Milkweedbone. And Dr. Wen Jing Chang? We are the, the website, uh, my personal website is uh, wenchinjiang.net. Awesome. But you can, yeah, you can find my information on the UMD website as well. Beautiful. I, I just uh, so appreciate this conversation. And I know, Debbie, you've been working on this for decades and um, having the academic and, and having people all come together to create something sustainable because economics can be sustainable and joyful and economics can listen to the earth. So thank you yes. for listening and thank you for listening to Food Freedom Radio. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Laura. Thank you. Thank you.